0: Feral Audio.
1: Ooh, crowds are excited about this one. I uh, can hear some music. All right. Oh no. Hey, that's what you call it. Hey, more like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Ugh, the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the
2: only reason to stay away from Cleveland. Yeah, and I'm Cleveland steaming mad
3: about their choices. Yeah, more like the Baby Boomer White Boy Guitar Band
4: Hall of Fame. (laughs) Not with rap, though. Yeah, because we're cool, right? Put in a few
1: rappers for the kids. Also, man, how can you even put this music in a museum? Blah, 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 blah. And these are the voices you hear year after year. And everyone blames everyone else. We didn't start the fire. There have been terrible choices since Billy Joel was the tie-breaking vote that put the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland instead of San Francisco. True story. Really? Yep. Yeah.
2: And then Cleveland, who was famous for having the river catch on fire, needed his traction. So they bribed a bigger polluted garbage fire named Billy Joel to write a song about how all these people didn't start the fire. True story. I I know I'm stopping this, but I'm...
3: I don't like that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Cleveland, but I'm glad it's not San Francisco. So
1: that doesn't make me. Yeah, the
2: property's way too expensive
3: there.
1: Yeah. The yeah. Um, fact is, everyone is responsible for the horrible decisions as to who does or does not get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Everyone that is, except for us the host of Beyond Yacht Rock. Yep, because we don't get to vote. Well, we're also pretty new to the scene, and our voices have not yet been taken seriously by the masses, but when the powers that be start to pay attention, as they are beginning to do, rest assured that music fans will be 100% satisfied with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony for the rest of eternity. So today, We're going through this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ballot to make all the right choices so you voters out there don't have to think too hard. This is Beyond Yacht Rock, the 2018 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Voter's Guide. Hey, this is the Beyond Yacht Rock Podcast. Every week we create a new musical genre. We count down the top ten songs in that genre. Uh, this week we're going so wild on the fives that we're doing it on episode 80. It's not whoa, even a five. Whoa, man. that's crazy. We're fucking crazy. Yeah, this is, uh... We're, 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 yeah, I said what we're doing. Okay, my yeah. name is J.D. Riznar. I'm Hollywood Steve. I'm dead, Hunter. And because we're the guys who coined the term Yacht Rock, that's right, it was us. It was us! It came from somewhere. All four of us, together. Um, we like to throw a bone to yacht rock song each and every week, and this time we're lucky enough to find a yacht rock song by a uh a nominee. Hall of Fame nominee. Alright, and this is Rufus with Shaka Khan with the song Heaven Bound. Uh Yacht Rockers getting into the holler pretty rare. We've got Steely Dan. That's about it. That's about it. There's a few toe dippers. Uh I'm honestly surprised that Steely Dan's in there. Yeah. I've, it was. It, oh, it, it, took, no. a it music, took a while.
2: Music music nerds and critics that vote for this shit? It took shit, a while. just like crack for those guys. Still. Um, Still. Let's listen to jazz, fusion, rock yeah. and roll for fun, fellas. Of course they're going to put that in.
1: Um, nah. Okay, so nah. we'll, we'll talk about Rufus Shaki Khan's uh, worthiness to get into the, the hall in, in just a bit. But first, let's talk about their seaworthiness, boys. Um this song. is called Heaven Bound off their 79 album, Master Jam. Uh, and it's a nice piece of yachtsco. Uh, why does it sound so yachty? Well, it was produced by Quincy Jones who said, "Is a hot new sound on the street, Shaka. Gotta put it on this record, Shaka. It's smooth and jazzy, but it's still poppy, it's still poppy, Shaka. Hey, I feel for Rashida. He,
3: he, he keeps saying shaka Khan. Mm-hmm. Is it is it Shaka or Khan? I think it depends
2: on your heritage. Mm-hmm. Ah, I see. Shaka. Shack. My um, in-laws all say Chicago. Gotcha. So,
1: other than uh, Quincy Jones, no personnel we've been watching are on this album except for the Brothers Johnson, who are credited with hand claps on this, uh, though they could have done so much more. I guess Rufus is a pretty tight group. Um, I would argue that they have Yacht Rock songs. On this and their two previous albums, way back to 1977, uh, and they they also did
3: albums toward the tail end without Chaka Khan mm-hmm. uh, that have some Yachty material, and of course uh, Chaka her, herself has some. Uh, also, I should mention Rod Temperton did some arrangement, and a bunch of the Horn Dogs, mm. uh, Jerry Hay, Gary Grant, Larry Williams are on this song. Um, they're only missing Gary from the from the. Tour, from the uh, uh larry gary and jerry wait no they have the gary they're missing a terry larry i believe uh most of them most of these guys were in sea wind who is credited on this sea wind was a jazz sea wind sea wind was Got a it. christian jazz funk and perhaps yacht rock outfit um from
1: hawaii i think but we'll talk about them later also not in the hall of fame nope mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I'm glad that I got to take a deep dive And look into this Because I I was always confused about Rufus And I never looked into it Like there was was Rufus with Shaka Khan There was just Rufus and just Shaka Khan What's the story? Uh, So this surprised me here Rufus was born of the ashes of the band The American Breed that had that hit in the late '60s, uh, "Bend Me, Shape Me." I love that song. It's yeah, it's so a really good song. It's a, it's a, it's a very white song, though. <laughs> "Bend <laughs> Me, Shape Me." And yeah, um, you, could, you could sell candy with that song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So probably, Sha- probably taffy. Um, Shaka Khan joined Rufus at 18, and they recorded the first album. She was with them from the beginning, which I didn't realize. Uh, it's called "Rags" or "Rufus." It came out in 74. It sounds like all their album titles are pretty pretentious. (laughs) Hey, I like Um, that name, Rags to Rufus. Master Jam. Rags to Rufus. Shaka was becoming such a draw for the next album. The record label renamed the group Rufus featuring Shaka Khan and Onward They Wrote. Um, This song is the product of some outside songwriters, one of which Lauren Bates would go on to write the Little uh, little Richard and Philip Bailey super duet Twins from the movie of the same name. Yeah, oh, So
4: He's definitely got some cred
1: here. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. So, uh, let's talk about Rufus with Shaka Khan getting into the Hall. Um, I, myself, I can't find anything remarkable enough about the band that would get them into the Hall of Fame. Did anybody else think of anything?
4: I mean, you know, they were kind of stalwarts of the funk era, but I don't know their catalog that well. I mean, everybody knows Tell Me Something Good. That was their classic yeah. funk hit. Um I kind of think this is just another attempt to get Shaka Khan in after she missed as a solo artist last year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And splits, splits the vote.
4: I, it, it's If you think about Shaka Khan as a figure, if you're. Like, if you think about her career, starting with the band Rubis and then being a solo artist. It seems like she should be a no-brainer, but if you split her career into two parts, it's harder to make the case for that one part of
3: it being Hall of Fame worthy. It's funny how this changes year to year, because wasn't it last year, like... No one thought she would be in the.
1: Well, we we got yelled at, and we sent.
3: Okay,
0: by well, Shaka Khan I'll say the same. We well, then I'll, then I'll say the same, we same thing. We said
3: ourselves about Shocka.
0: I'll Khan. say the yeah, same. I, thing. I just
4: didn't know her catalog that well last year, so I didn't feel or qualified to say I'll say the same say thing the that
3: I said last year is that she's the queen of funk, and I think she should be in. Uh, and I think her material with Rufus would go in if she went in. Yeah. Um, but it kind of doesn't work in reverse. <laughs> so
1: if it's Rufus and Jacques, Jacques Kahn, then yeah. uh, Linda McCartney's not getting in on her own, fellas. <laughs> uh, well, and we'll be talking about a similar situation at 50, in the 50 states segment uh, with an artist and a band. Yeah. And which one goes in, which doesn't. Yeah. Are
2: we still doing 50
1: states? The 50 songs, 50 well, songs. What doesn't matter? Nobody's paying attention. Yeah. Um, I've done <laughs> Um. Alright, so. That's how we feel so about. we're very inconclusive on this one. Yeah, I, gonna, I don't know what we're exactly
3: voting on. If we're voting on Rufus, we're voting on Rufus. You're voting on
1: Rufus with Shaka Khan. That's on the ballot. Yeah. Rufus. So, with Shaka Khan. so none so of the, the stuff- band who gets
3: inducted would be Shaka Khan plus all of these bands. I'm gonna say no because it's dumb. Yeah.
1: yeah. Because
3: it should just be Rufus, including. Shaka but, Khan was the, in Rufus. But the
1: band is called Rufus with Shaka Khan. That was not the on their first the album. Yes, it was. I thought for it was for most of their albums. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There was. Yeah. Every album she was on so, was Rufus with so Shaka Khan. So this is only their material. Oh, I'm sorry. No, not their first album. Yeah. Right, the second album. It was sorry. only when they like Buddy holly
3: the crickets. Yeah. With yeah. A, yeah. Like, the star came out. So you're gonna so. So is that first album going to be included? Yeah. I, guess, I guess it is because she was in it. But then the stuff they did without her—that's not included. This is too fucking mismatched. You can't do yeah. this. Yeah. Just fucking put Chaka yeah. Khan in.
1: Um, I agree with Hunter. No. Yeah, just Chaka Khan by yourself. Give her another shot.
3: Don't don't establish this dumb precedent.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh. So. All right. We can take a little break. So that's our yacht
3: rock bone throw.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's
4: before we before we get into it, let's go over the format of the episode because there was some confusion last year. A few people were like. Hey, why don't you assholes cover so-and-so more, and so on and so forth. So, here's the deal, guys. There are 19 nominees. We are not going to spend equal time on each one, because the podcast would be eight hours long, and nobody would listen to it. Maybe a few of you would, and God bless you beautiful freaks. But, each of the four of us has picked out one favorite nominee that means the most to us, and we'll be making a three-song case for their induction, each, each one of us four. And in between those, we're going to go through the others, the other nominees, on a more bite-sized basis. Hopefully, give a relatively quick
1: thumbs up or thumbs down. Which is exactly what I explained last year. Steve itched me so much when he said people were confused.
4: Yeah, who the fuck was confused? You're the people we heard from on the social media. Even so they're even fucking idiots.
1: That's even why after, I got rid of all my social media. Even after, like, you're still going to have dum-dums after your explanation, not knowing what's going on, and you just used. You know, now you have less breath. Here's what I've I said. got plenty of breath for this episode, Here's, bro. I've been waiting for this one. Here's what I said uh, last year. I said, this this episode will be taking you through the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ballot and arguing why you should or should not be voting for the nominated artist... We'll have some casual conversations for most of them, some barroom banter, if you will. But for our favorites, we'll be making more impassioned, well-researched arguments. Each of us has picked our favorite nominee and chosen three songs that make the best argument for their inclusion into the hall.
2: What is That was perfectly concise. That was
1: better than Steve's. That was back when I cared about what I was writing for this show.
2: Okay, wait. We have like another
3: page of intro. Do we really need it? Can we summarize this? I want to say, I want to tell the people how fan voting
4: works. So mm-hmm. once once you guys listen to this episode, you can go on their website, you can vote for up to 5 artists to get into the Hall of Fame on the fan ballot, once per email address per day. Fan voting lasts through December 5th. Top five fan vote-getters will count as one submitted ballot out of around 800 or so. So all you listeners out there, you can join in and help us grab that one-eighth of one percent and use our power for good.
1: But we're not really doing this for the plebs out there. At least I'm not, you see. Uh, We're doing this for the music journalists and musicians out there who actually get to vote. Some of them listen to us. At least one or two. All of them should. So attention, all of you voters. You've been way too into music for way too long. You can no longer think about music in a wise or correct way. You're burned out and you're no longer trying. You've already proven that in many of these nominees. You need fresh new voices on the music writing scene to give you a superior fresh perspective on things. And the music talking scene. You need us. And you must listen to us. If our favorites do not get voted in this year, you will need to switch your psychologist because... Yours is clearly ripping you off. Anything else to clarify, Steve?
4: Uh, You know, I think everyone can benefit from a little therapy. It's just a matter of finding the right psychologist. So
2: I think you're right on there. Which one can prescribe drugs? Psychiatrist. There you go. That's what you want.
1: Yeah. Uh, But your psychologist can also talk to your GP and have him give you drugs. Uh, So what do we look for in a Hall of Fame nominee? Sorry, Hunter, this is all important. I know you're getting itchy and want to listen to music. Yeah, it's just like i got... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
3: we're going to talk about this in all of our shit no So, one. I'll what? start
4: Because I actually wrote stuff uh, So if I look at the Baseball Hall of Fame, for example A good chunk of those guys, most people never heard of them anymore But they were pretty damn good players in their day And so the Hall of Fame isn't necessarily about fame, per se It's about if it's you the Yankees Yeah, that's <laughs> that too uh, But it's about preserving the legacies of the people we want Yankees future burn. generations to remember So the main thing I look at is the artist's creative legacy. Like, maybe they were a big influence on other artists. Maybe they epitomized a certain trend or style better than the vast majority of their peers. Maybe they were just difficult to imitate because they were so unclassifiably brilliant. But whichever of those they fall into, they probably have at least one, like, stone-cold classic landmark somewhere in their
1: catalog. And I started to be—I used to be bitter about the oldie-time artists, but I have started to realize— That the only time artists that were important before fame entered the modern era need to be recognized Because they are the seeds of what made music great The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is like a musical seed bank So when music gets really shitty, like worse than today We can go to the hall and say, okay, say Fats Domino, well, he did this first. Then we can relearn from him and start all over again. And so that that's kind of what I look for sometimes. I like Who the are idea... the people you can look at and say, okay, let's start f- fresh from this person?
2: Yeah. I, I like the idea of a musical seed bank. <laughs> yeah. Like if I tried to play the sock that's under my bed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he didn't mean that kind of seed. <laughs>
1: Um, and I also, you know, I also asked, do they, did they sell so many records that can't be ignored? Cause that's important too.
3: Yeah. Like Nickelback. That's coming. <laughs> if you're going to put that's that, on that shit on yeah. as a, I'm going to, I'll scream about this for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Hey, you f- fucks, you keep putting in music that you think will make you look cool and shit. How about putting in the stuff that influenced some of those fucking artists once in a while and, uh, Lead up to the Nickelbacks mm-hmm. instead of just throwing Nickelback in there without putting in the shit that like led to Nickelback.
1: That's yeah. coming. Hunter's talking about a really great unrecognized artist that should have been in at the very first ballot. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing this for what thirty years now. Yeah, give feels, me a break. Feels
2: like we've been doing this intro for thirty years.
1: Uh, no, it's it feels really good we to have me. Been. Um been. So what else did I want to say? I don't know. Uh, oh, I also like to ask how first. Were they like if you have a derivative group that sold a billion records but did little to push music forward? I'm gonna tell them to fuck off, and you should too, Hall of Fame voters. Yeah, we got a couple of those sons of guns here. So, shall we get started? Let's uh,
4: let's do our scorecard from last year. How did we do last Wait. year? Oh.
1: oh, um, I so, journey got in. Yeah, you did journey, they got in. Good job, JD. Yeah, I did craft work once
3: again. We're gonna put in a bunch of fucking electronic synth. Bands uh, for nomination, but we're not going to fucking put Kraftwerk in you idiots. they didn't make it.
2: No, nor were they renominated. Um, uh, my spotlight artist was MC5 and they didn't make it, but they were renominated. Hey, good job. So Thanks. if you want to hear Dave make the case for them, go back and listen to but obviously 45 no, from
3: last year.: mm. No punk uh, bands have made the rock and hole Hall of Fame, right?: Oh no, none Okay yeah, well then, 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 then
2: you don't have to put uh, fucking MC5 in No, The Ramones are in there. I'm sure the sex pistols yeah, just... are in there. Sex Pistols had one fucking album.
3: We do you know if they're in there or I don't know. I, I'm sure they're in there yeah. because we know what their
2: name is. Hold yeah, they,
4: didn't, they, didn't they just refuse to come and perform? And...
2: Yeah, there was actually a great story about Johnny Rotten visiting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and seeing like a little piece of napkin where he wrote the lyrics to uh, God Save the Queen or Anarchy in the UK. He's like, that's not mine. They're like, no, it is. We verified that that's the... He's like, it isn't. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, yeah. like he, You fucking cocksucker. He faxed him a note and says Hall of Fame's a piss stain, so he's mm-hmm. so punk. Okay.
4: Uh, so my And my spotlight artist was chic. They didn't make it for the 11th time in a row, so the Hall just gave Nile Rodgers something called the Award for Musical Excellence, <laughs> which is a lifetime achievement induction by a secret separate committee for behind-the-scenes types, and that basically means, okay, we know chic should be in, but we can't get all this boomer slime to vote in a black disco band, <laughs> so here's an individual honor while you're still alive to accept it.
1: I, it w- just, it's just a bunch of, just a couple, like, 20-year-old, like, did, like woke music journalists rubbing <laughs> their heads and going, oh, my God, they're so racist. Didn't uh, <laughs> Didn't
3: Homer get that same award? The uh, the Outstanding Award for <laughs> Excellence in Music uh, Award of Excellence. I don't know. I seem to remember that in a thing. A, a thing? Simpsons episode? Yeah.
1: No, a thing. All right, here we go! All right, lightning round! Beyond Yacht Rock. Beyond Yacht Rock. 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 Rock and Roll. Hall of Fame. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Rock and Roll. Beyond Yacht Rock.
0: Rock.
1: Rock and Roll. Hall of Fame. Rock. All right, Depeche Mode's on the ballot this year. Depeche Mode, this is their song, Just Can't Get Enough, and I had no idea this song was Depeche Mode until last week. Um, it's just one of those generic Britpop 80s songs that I've always heard. Um, that's a good reason for them to not vote for them, I think. Also, um, they named themselves after a magazine that translates to fashion news. And that's dumb, so pats. But they are one of the most influential and popular electronic music art- acts of all time. So I wouldn't be angry if they made it and I would get it. I would. uh, Kraftwerk first, and then maybe Depeche Mode? That's your philosophy, and I I would agree with it.
2: It Yeah, yeah. I knew this was them because I Napstered it after I saw a gap ad or something that it was in, but Hunter's absolutely right. Let's get the influencers in there before we start sniffing around the derivatives.
4: I think they should definitely be in, but in addition to the people who influence them, there's a whole crop of, like you know, early British alternative artists that all need to get in. The Cure, The Smiths, yeah. Joy Division, New yeah. Order. Yeah. And all of those bands I would see getting in before Depeche Mode. Absolutely. So, yeah, put them in, but where's everybody else from this from this uh, this grouping?
1: Yeah. Get it together, people. Come on. Uh, dire Straits is on the ballot. <laughs> is there is their song, Walk of Life. Um, their album, Brothers in Arms, sold 30 million copies. And fun fact, the CD version was the first CD to sell a million copies, but that's just luck. Yeah, It'll, yeah, it's timing. It's not like Dire Straits goes, hey, I found this new technology, put our album on this. No, they was just lucky. So one huge album in a career of regular rock and roll. Get out of here, Knopfler! Get out of you! Get out of my hall! I, Mark Knopfler is—he's a really excellent guitar
4: player. He's very hard to imitate. He's got a very distinctive style of his own. But I just, like, if you try to think of, like, how many iconic Dire Straits songs there are, it's like... There's two. There's well, maybe three. Oh, There's yeah, like, that's right. Walk There's of Life, uh, Money for Nothing, and maybe Sultans of Swing. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know people
3: who go back to the Dire Straits catalog very often I I would maybe maybe eventually because uh, these guys were British playing what I thought was Americana I'm always surprised that they were British they sing about baseball yeah Uh, no one did that really at the time that they were doing it they bucked a lot of trends and made like kind of like Americana rock and roll I think there's
2: something to be said about that uh so maybe eventually. You know what else no one did when this music video came out? Watch sports sports, sports? bloopers. Sports? Watch sports bloopers in a row. And they did introduce the world to that. Sports Illustrated caught on, started giving away the subscriptions. Nothing to do with music. Not this time. Dire Straits. Yeah. No,
4: not these, this time. These guys are like third in the fan voting right now. I had no idea there was that level of passionate support for Dire Straits. Because they know
1: money for nothing. And also they... Yeah, and uh, which was big they, for the MTV Also they era. called
2: people... Uh, uh, faggot in the uh, the song,
1: so yeah,
3: that's, that was, that's attracting the. Trump. And that was a character. They didn't board, call people were, that. Were, somebody else called it. And right. He said it yeah. just like
2: you said it. Yeah, but the
3: uh, in somebody else's voice, so it's uh, the same. Trump's, Trump's audience doesn't know the difference. And you know, when your, you point, point at people, vote. when you point at somebody, you got three fingers pointing
1: at yourself, Dave. All right, Eurythmics. Uh, this is their big hit. Sweet dreams are made of this. I don't know why it's call isn't called Sweet Dreams Are Made Of These, because that rhymes better with Disagrees. Uh, anyway, my thought is that the Arrhythmics uh, were an unremarkable yet popular group. 75 million albums sold, that's less than Depeche Mode for context. Uh, The unremarkability comes from the nature of the group. Dave Stewart is a waste of space. This song is awesome, but how much credit is due to Annie Lennox? A lot. Remarkable. She's an incredible singer, fashion icon. How many weirdo girls decided to get into music because of Annie Lennox? She should be in the hall, not her group that that she had to ride into fame with because she was a woman. And there was a lot of sexism back then. Uh, Yeah,
4: I I mean, it's- if you're looking at it like- her career arc is kind of like what we were just talking about with Shaka Khan, where if you split her career into the Eurythmics half and the Solo half, it's harder to make the case for one or the other, but if you would look at it as a whole, as a figure, it seems like she should be in, but I don't know that that's how they format their decisions on how to elect people.
3: Uh, this is, this is again, a uh, Shaka Rufus thing. Annie Lennox is the star. She will eventually get in. Probably not now. Uh, but, and she'll drag all of her Eurythmics material with her. Uh, but I feel, again, 80s synth and not
2: Kraftwerk yet. So. <laughs> yeah. Why, why are we jumping ahead? Yeah. yeah. Again, I'm with Hunter. I would go Depeche Mode before the Eurythmics and no Depeche Mode without Kraftwerk.
4: The and, and the Eurythmics, like they're not really an album band. They did they did kind of a, a kind of a wider variety of styles on their singles. Like they don't all sound like this. Oh. Uh, and like you know, there's a little blue-eyed soul in there somewhere. It's you know, it's it's a very... They've got a verse, they've got a versatility to them, but it's the kind of versatility where it's hard to pin down an identity
1: for them. I guess is yeah. the thing. They are a band that sold a lot of albums. Um, Hunter, I'm glad that you're sticking by this, this seed bank theory. What about the originals? Because here comes Hunter's Hunter's Spotlight, and you really don't get much earlier in rock and roll than this.
0: Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rock and Roll
3: Hall
2: of Fame. Do you feel your music is racist in any way? No, 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 no That's of course all. not. We, you know, we say, we say. Love your brother. We don't say it really. but We don't
0: literally say it. No, we don't say we it We don't really literally all. mean it. No, we don't. But believe we're not it is. Is. But We're anything but racist. In Jesus' name, this clean train Sister
2: Rosetta Tharp. Well, hello.
3: We're there.
0: Oh, yeah. Apparently we're there. We're here. We made it.
2: Oh. <sighs> it's a long ride.
3: Uh this train's weird. a clean train. Yeah. So uh yeah, so we're listening to oh, Sister Rosetta Tharp's biggest hit, uh Strange Things Happening Every Day from nineteen forty four. It was a traditional spiritual that put her spin onto that she put her spin on to become the first uh, gospel record to cross over to the quote-unquote race records chart, the precursor to the R&B chart, where it would reach number two in 1945.
1: I love how they were trying to be PC back then by calling it the race chart, not the black people chart. Yeah, Now it was later. Oh, they did did call it the black people chart. Yeah, hot black singles. That's right. That's right. Um,
2: Sounds like my kind of club. Yeah. So
3: this is a song about place in the world as a black woman in the segregated united states coming off of world war ii which seemed to be a contradiction of freedoms of the freedoms one also uh, her music it was also about her musical transition between the religious and secular wor- worlds which was met with a lot of criticism from the gospel community it always is and it also gets credited by some as being the first rock and roll record which is why i'm picking ultimately sister rosetta tharp for my pick, you'd think the first song should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Arguably the first song, but it goes beyond that. I would say I would I wouldn't even pin that on why she should get in. But let, I'll get into that. So anyway, here's a run, quick rundown of why I choose why I chose Sister Rosetta Tharp. She's arguably arguably invented rock and roll. Okay, there it is. That was my that's my there it is. You can move. We can move on now. Give her the vote. Uh, it's no-brainer for the uh, goddamn Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Do they know what they're called? Do they know? Because I think someone should remind them. I know they're in Cleveland. It's hard to tell. But it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
1: I'll tell you one thing. That motherfucker Hans Baseball is in the ro- is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You yeah. better believe it.
3: Uh, yes. Uh, uh, little Hans Baseball. Yeah. Abner Hans Baseball. Um... I'll go and uh, go ahead and say uh, race and gender bias is also is why she uh, is not in there yet. Uh, but also, I'll say stupidity, and I'd like to think that I fall into the stupidity category as I had no idea who Sister Rosetta Tharp was going into this show, and uh, I was going to pick the Meters. Great band. Yes, which we'll mention later, uh, but said, hey, maybe I should check out the other names, especially the ones I don't recognize. So I YouTube Sister Rosetta, and holy shit, she invented rock and roll. (laughs) Uh, At least that's what I saw. Um, So she had to be my pick because, and maybe I forgot to mention this, but um, she invented rock and roll. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Her and Ike Turner. uh, But I will say maybe this lax nomination is not simply an affront to her personally, but I will say to gospel music in general. I yeah, I would agree with you on that. I don't think people give credit to gospel as being honestly the first actual realization of rock and roll. Uh, now, you can take this with a grain of salt because I'm stupid. Um, But when I watched her videos, I realized that rock and roll really started as a secularized version of revival gospel, Mm -hmm. which from the looks of it took blues instrumentation and added excitement and performance and soul into that mix. Um, So every time you see a guy uh, playing the guitar and gyrating, that is a secularized version of, of a preacher. Gyrating and talking about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so basically, take Jesus out of the equation and make it about sex, and bam, rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah
4: you take the uh, you take the spiritual ecstasy and you just transform it into the things that give you ecstasy here on earth, and you can sex.
1: You can reverse engineer it too. So when you're watching some guy swing his dong on the stage, you watch that dong, that gene meet, and you imagine that turning into Jesus, and it brings you back to the gospel. And it works both ways.
2: Yep. Circle of, uh, circle of rock? Circle, circle of or
1: something.
0: I don't know.
2: Circle, circle of meat. I don't Real know where dong. we're going. Dong circle. Oh, sweet okay, here we go. Oh, the sweet horsey. Oh, so, Sister Rosetta Tharp, time I'm, I'm going to talk line. about Oh, What it. song
3: is this? Uh, this is Didn't It Rain. But I'll get there, Steve. But it's Didn't It Rain. Okay. She'll also get there. Uh,
2: I'm just picturing a preacher swinging his dick around like a pocket watch. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know.
1: Someday this is going to be called rock and roll. <laughs> and all the white kids are going to love it. Ow. Okay,
3: so Sister Rosetta Tharp, fellas, was born Rosetta Nubbins, or maybe Rosetta Atkins. The records are shit, Uh, as far as I know, and um, she was born in 1915 Cotton Plant, Arkansas, so I'm guessing
1: that the records aren't that great. I'm sure the comptroller of Cotton Plant was going, let's make sure all the black people's records (laughs) are in order. Uh, yeah, she's the daughter of Cotton Pickers' uh, Katie
3: Bell Nubbin and Willie Atkins. Uh, the family had musical talent, and uh, little Rosetta was considered a prodigy, and she's known as little Rosetta, was, and she was a prodigy. She began performing in church by the age of four. Her mother, uh, Mother Bell, was also an evangelist, and would eventually leave Rosetta, uh, Rosetta's father to travel and evangelize, bringing Rosetta with her to perform. Uh, She learned to play the guitar and piano, and it was at these gospel revivals where she learned how to also be the performer uh, that I mentioned earlier. She would rile up the crowd with her singing and musicianship, uh, and primarily with playing the guitar. And what a guitar. We'll talk about that. Uh, In the 20s, they settled in Chicago, where she was influenced by the big city sounds of jazz and blues. Uh, She was married off at the age of 19 to a preacher named Thomas Thorpe. Uh, and kind of took his last name as I think uh, he he changed it to Tharp and she took that again records shyster Uh, preachers too. a lot of names here Uh,
2: (laughs) so the gambit was that uh, Thorpe was wanted in three
0: counties
1: (laughs)
2: so they changed it to Tharp Tharp they'll never catch me now it was
1: Thorpe's dick swinging game it was an obscenity swing it like
2: an 8th grade soccer coach with his whistle (laughs) well I'll tell you what the gambit
3: was the gambit was that she would draw the crowds with her music and he would proselytize Uh, basically he took advantage of her talents to make money, uh, and he was kind of shitty. Uh, she eventually left him and moved to New York with her mother, where she started singing at the Cotton Club in Carnegie Hall, uh, which, that's what solidified her move away from gospel, um, which is what caused some blowback. Uh, she was signed to Decca and performed with the Lucky Millenders uh, Jazz Band, and had her first hit with Rock
1: Me. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Her
3: style kept moving further from gospel with the scandalous tall, uh, hit tall skinny Papa. Um. Although. It's, oh, so skinny dudes are uh, sexually attractive? Is what she's saying? If they're tall. Put her in the Hall of Fame. If they're tall. Immediately. Uh. Although it's said that this type of risque secular work was due to her contract and that she had no choice in the material, but I don't know yeah. if I believe that. Um, regardless, she was a rock star, she toured most of the 40s to packed houses, she even performed with white performers, uh, which is significant due to segregation, and get this, it was she that booked them to open for her. So it wasn't like somebody threw her a bone, she was throwing the bo- she was the one throwing the bones because she invented rock and roll. Um. Yes, it was simply talent recognizing talent, and she was on top. She basically went on to, uh, on having a great career until 1940. Uh, she had a seventy, excuse me, 1970. She had a stroke and lost. I'll catch it, Steve. Don't worry. Uh, She had a stroke and lost her leg due to diabetes. Uh, I believe never oh, to perform so- again. And in 1973,
1: she would die at the age of 58 in Philadelphia. Wait. Jesus, that's young. You're going to lose legs from diabetes?
2: You, well, it starts with toes
3: oh, and then your right. foot and okay. then your I'm
1: done, I'm done with my Mountain Dew. Okay, yeah, Ron Santo know. lost legs like, <laughs> to diabetes.
3: Okay, so what we are listening to right now is her performance at a 1964 Manchester concert, which was part of a European tour with Muddy Waters and others, taking advantage of the interest in American blues music. Uh, Rosetta was 49 when she's doing this, and she's been on the road for over 40 years. It was televised, and a bit of a... It's a bit of a water, kind of a watershed moment, because uh, if you think about it, 1964, how many British kids saw her and decided to pick up a guitar? Um, obviously... There, I read years, bef- uh, the year before, probably the couple years before, they did this tour, and it's been said, like Clapton, John Lennon, all these people were co- going to this to watch this music, and this is a big inspiration, because it's the first time they're seeing it. All they ever heard were records. This is They actually got a chance to see it. Well, in this particular one, they got to see the woman who invented rock and roll, and that's her playing the guitar, to remind everybody. Uh, um... Anyways, I think this, this, uh, this should be a concert spoken about with reverence, like Monterey Pop or the 1976 Sex Pistols concert, also in Manchester, because, you know, as I said, the inventor of rock and roll was playing to the British Invasion kids at this moment. Uh, I think that's pretty significant. And if, maybe if you were to have a hall where you would put famous people <laughs> within that genre, you might want to consider putting this person in.
2: What was her first hit? Her her first hit was Rock Me. Rock Me. No, that wasn't her. I'm sorry. That was Duke. I was calling back to her. Strange
3: things happen. uh, Excuse me. It didn't. uh, Strange things happening every day was her first legitimate big hit. Sorry, I was trying to. Rock Me was another. I'll call back to that because one
1: strange thing is that she's not in the Hall of Fame yet. That happened today. Rock
3: Me was her hit with Lucky Millinder's jazz band. It was. She was still kind of. It wasn't as. uh, Rock. But she had some something rocking yeah uh, um, oh here's a fun fact about con- concerts because I haven't Ooh. brought up any fun facts uh, you know how rock has these weird elements uh, or excuse me these weird events and gimmicks like Rick Wakeman's
2: King Arthur on Ice you guys
1: really oh, remember who, oh, who yeah. doesn't remember never yeah. <laughs> a
2: misstep with that guy
1: uh, <laughs> quality entertainment
2: well he illustrated his own books yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot. Of excuse qu- me book a lot of quirky
3: fun stories there in the history of that, that there rock and roll uh you'd think like a a rock star would have one of those and if and if sister rosetta was a rock star maybe she would. well she does uh she did one of those she was married in a concert to russell morrison who was just some musician she met and who eventually became her manager in 1951 during this event they held this concert they did this whole they plastered come see sister rosetta get married 25,000 people came to the show to see the ceremony many of which brought gifts because they loved her so much. Uh, and they made it into a hit album. And uh, while it was a sham, she was legally married. And guess what? He was kind of shitty, but she stayed with him until her death. Okay. So what I haven't mentioned, and I'm going to get it out of the way now, is the guitar playing. Because I've been yelling about how she invented rock and roll, and most of it has been really talking about how she did it early and how she was singing and it was the first time that things were coming together but it's beyond that Um, she plays the fucking guitar like a guitar god she fucking kills it two of the songs I chose of live material because that's where she shines due to the performance especially in this Um, it's a little hyperbole to simply say she invented rock and roll I admit that might be a little hyperbole uh, which she
1: did though because she she Wait, invented I mean you can maybe name three to five people that maybe invented rock and roll they should all be in yeah but I will say this you
3: watched a performance specifically this one this is the song up above my head you can look see it on YouTube and you can pretty much say that for sure she invented the guitar guy like this is what made me go oh I have to pick her she's amazing with the guitars She is a rock star uh she's not in a chair like you, you mentioned some blues person they're in a chair they're, they're just being really still and just playing it no she's she's not standing there she, she's she's what the kids would say rocking out i think yeah, that's what they say
2: gyrating like a preacher with a handful of dong uh <laughs> i don't know if you guys are helping my case listen listen to that that'll help okay your case. yeah listen to this
3: She's doing a guitar solo in the middle of what... She's got a gospel group behind them, and she's doing it again. It sounds unremarkable, like but nobody was doing this. Maybe some people... This was, this was a little later. I think this was in the 60s. Oh, okay. But she was doing this before.
1: Right. But this is, this is now... What she was doing 20 years earlier. Maybe now with the plugged inness but... You hear a lot of her guitar solos picking on the acoustic guitar as well, and even that's extraordinary, and it's really special because the acoustic guitar sounds kind of beaten up and rough it's, it's really she, fun to listen she to.
3: primarily played the electric guitar i mean she was an electric guitar player she it wasn't like she didn't know what a rock star was but she was like i'm a fucking rock star i'm playing an electric fucking guitar she influenced little richard elvis johnny cash to name a few but she especially influenced chuck berry which you could hear on that guitar solo she just did yeah definitely and you can remember that new sound Marvin Berry was sending to his cousin? <laughs> yeah. That sound that they weren't ready for, but the kids would love? It was already fucking here. It was Sister Rosetta. Uh, she could play the guitar like she was ringing a bell. He didn't need Marty McFly. He didn't have to fucking go back.
1: A week later, Marvin Berry went to a Sister Rosetta concert. The same thing would have happened but Marty McFly just got in there mm-hmm. early.
3: Go back to the guitar solo for one more time. I have I, no idea where it was. It's. it's oops, oops. It's oh, not there for sure. It's somewhere right around there. My okay. oh. There it is. Uh, she used to have, it, it's in the part of the song where the guitar solo should yeah, be right in the because middle. she invented rock and roll. Uh, she used to have guitar battles at the Apollo and uh, would best most men that would challenge her skills. She was awesome. She wasn't just a woman who played guitar, she was great at it. Uh, listen to this solo, it's amazing. Um, <coughs> put this woman in the hall. Also, just... this is like a 50 year old woman at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah she's. A 50-year-old diabetic woman. She's in... No, she's probably in her
1: mid-40s, I'd say. Still, that's 50. Still, that's... Yeah, still, that's 50. Back
2: (laughs) then, that's like 65. Uh, I mean, her leg was half rotted off. (laughs) Not yet. No, that was...
3: Anyway. Uh, Yeah, so Hollywood. Also, you. Not just the fucking Hall of Fame. Hollywood. Sister Rosetta is a fucking screenwriter's dream. There's so much I haven't mentioned, and not, not only do we need to see her in the hall, but how about a fucking movie so people know who she is, like in the next five years, so yeah. vote away,
1: everybody. Yeah, uh, cookie from Empire was so good in that other black lady movie, she should do this one, too. Jesus, J.D. What? Hidden Figures. There you go. I forgot her, the actress's name, I just remember she's Cookie in Empire. Uh, what's the actress? She'd be good as Sister Rosetta. She'd be really good. Yeah. Tell me, guys. She would be good you at it. You guys are looking at me like I'm an idiot. None of you can come up with a goddamn name. It's because we're also idiots.
2: No, we're just sitting there. Everybody with, um, at everybody's is agape.
1: Everybody at home is just going nuts. Okay, anyway, we'll move on. Good, uh, good, 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 good argument. Round. Good argument. Good uh,
2: argument. Way to
3: end that with a fucking fart on all of us. <laughs> oh, also I want to mention that she, uh, there
4: is a, there is another way for her to get into the Hall of Fame. There's an early influences tag that sh- that can be decided by, by committee. $12. So if she doesn't get in by voting, then they could theoretically induct her as an early influence. Yeah, they
1: give her that Homer award again. Yeah. yeah. Taraji. Taraji P. Henson. Yeah, Henson. In. Was okay. See, you, you scared me. I didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Um, okay. It's not an easy name. Uh, hey, more nominees! Hello, Cool Jay. Around the way girl, L Cool J, he was one of the first runaway success hip hop acts. He was the first rapper on American Bandstand. He opened the door for Hip Hop Dreamboat. So easy on the eyes. So good looking. He was a pioneer. He was wildly successful and did so much to help define hip hop culture to the masses. Uh, he had the standout performance in Yo! MTV Raps Unplugged, uh, which further expanded the possibilities of hip-hop, so get him in there, I say! Yeah, he definitely
4: deserves to be in. If you think about, about a lot of, like, really influential hip-hop artists, a lot of them really only had, like, a one or two album, Prime, where they made their biggest creative impact and then everybody just kind of imitated their sound and, they, you know, they were kind of out of ideas after that, but, oh, Cool J managed to have, like, a career that was was over a decade long like as a solid productive hit making artist uh, and he got better and better at crossing over without you know compromising his aesthetic so much like you know in the beginning he did i need love it is kind of a sappy rap ballad kind of sucks but he got better and better at making bigger and bigger hits as he went along
1: i the going rappers could be teen idols
4: yeah, he, yeah, he did. He did. He did a lot. Of, he 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 did a lot to to
1: establish the music as a mainstream genre. And then he transitioned into a leading role in an NCIS spinoff. How many rappers have done that? One. Uh, yeah, what, got, about, yeah, Ice, what about Ice T? that's not an NCIS? Yeah, was spinoff! An NCIS.
3: Boom Good in your face. Good. Relax. I was going to remind him that JD. Right, let also, me do it. It's my point. Also, right. I know. I know I didn't just write yes, I wrote something after it, but I will say it, uh, he was pretty much the first teen idol of hip-hop, mm-hmm. uh, and he continued on without crashing and burning, which is what most teen idols in any genre do. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, his hat is like a shark's fin. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it yeah, cool. yeah.
1: yeah.
3: um, I oh. wrote, absolutely. Oh, God damn it, Dave. Okay, Good one. job, Dave. Dave, we're sticking to the script over here, guys. No, uh, we're not. MC, no, we are.
1: MC5, this is a song they did called Looking At You. Uh, there we go. Yeah, Dave, we, are you right over no. here? Yeah,
0: yeah. Of
2: course, they,
1: should, they need to be in.
2: Yeah, my answer should they be in? Duh. Yeah, yeah. These
3: guys sticking to the script. Good on you.
2: Thanks, bud. Uh,
1: the uh. meters, sissy Strutt. I don't know anything about this band. I'll let you Hell, guys talk yes, about
4: Hell yes, they're fantastic. They're uh, they're like they were kind of a, a sort of a session band around New Orleans, but they also made their own records. They were. Uh, They played on a lot of R&B records. Uh, Alan Toussaint would have them in sometimes to record his compositions. But they're super funky, and they were like they they started off kind of doing instrumental funk, kind of like this. Uh, Like them and the JBs were kind of the two preeminent influences on the uh, deep funk revival that happened around Brooklyn in the 90s and early 2000s and those were the bands like Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings Um, and those instrumentalists also backed Amy Winehouse on Back to Black like like there's a lot of of, uh, modern funk bands that took this and the JB's instrumental sides as
3: their cue on what they wanted to sound like. Also say the name of the famous last name that's in this Oh, the, yeah, this, this has several of the Neville brothers in it. Oh, no, I thought it was the Neville father was
1: in this. Oh, uh, I did, can't remember. I he, think is it, a, he is a Neville brother, but to the yeah. Neville uncles. I'm,
3: I think it was the there Neville... There's a bunch of Neville's or, in here. It, yeah, <laughs> but a, I think I think specifically the Neville father that sprung the Neville's was when the meters... Um, yeah, I, I feel like to be... Uh, it's a good save, JD.
1: Just rolling my eyes at you? Okay.
3: Uh... Yeah, I, think, I feel like those cool white boomers jumped way ahead and started putting hip hop artists in without properly laying the groundwork for their arrival, like with like a lot of funk and craft
2: work, like the electronic. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's just a lot of, uh, uh, hey, we need to include these other genres, these other things of music. Let's do what's right in front of well, us. I, Don't I, pay attention to I, how it got there.
3: I, I, and I also think that these, these guys are like, shit, rock and roll's dead. Hip-hop is not, so let's put them in, but they didn't do the fucking, show your work. Hey, I'm a math teacher, I'm a, yeah. I'm a math teacher, show your fucking work you know if you're gonna do it. I
1: mean, listen you guys, I like these guys getting in because guys like these and the JB's getting in lays the foundation for Toto getting in one day, the Session guys that rose yeah. above everything to but become they, a hit group. But
3: particularly, the, the hall doesn't address funk, I don't think they did dress yeah. funk very yeah. well. And, and if they're gonna address funk
4: this time around, I feel like the meters deserve it more than Rufus. Just looking yeah. at it by themselves. Absolutely.
3: And also it'd be nice to get some New Orleans flavor in there because they have yeah. they have their own sound, that like uh yeah, line step sound. So uh,
1: Moody Blues, nice and white sad. and um, the only moody blues that I'm gonna feel is if they put these one-hit wonders in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's all. That's all I know about this group. Is this song? Is this their one hit? Uh, I did. Yeah, they had more than one. I did. No, not really. Not really. Yes, they did. Uh, did maybe two more. Uh Wikipedia said albums. they helped synthesizers and philosophy get into the rock mainstream. I say get out of here, moody blues.
4: I, I don't know, I feel like they probably should be in But I, I'm not really into, like I never really got into them I did. And I
0: guess I don't really have a dog <laughs> in this race did. one way or the other
3: Hunter, you, you, yeah. what, do you, what do you like about them? Well, what, do, what do you a- think their case well, is? Well first off, they absolutely should get in um, The Moody Blues, they may have been my pick Along with, as I said, Meters and eventually uh, Sister Rosetta I personally love Days of Future Past Which is what this is on
1: yeah, First it, album All downhill after that Not
3: really no, It doesn't not it, 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 it's, yeah. not, I mean, it's not It's not the first album really? Their Honestly first. most of that albums Oof their first album no, the album's great Their first album is they're, They were just wh- white dudes Doing like a soul thing okay. like. Yeah,
4: they covered a song called Go Now by an American soul singer Named Bessie Banks And it was a big hit for them in the UK Which,
3: by the way Take that into fucking consideration That those guys were doing that And then two years later They're doing this Which... It doesn't it, it doesn't get this doesn't get the credit to say Sgt Pepper's to the development of progressive rock and the contributions of symphonic rock and psychedelic rock. Even John Lennon considered Days of futures Past to be the first true concept album. Yeah. He said only Pepper's first song and The Reprise connect. Everything else is like a fucking mishmash. He he fucking says that. So you critics out there stop lying. Like, go to the fucking swords. This is where it is. You can't- If you go- One of the
2: forerunners of Prague. If you go to
3: the concept album Wikipedia page, they don't even fucking mention this album on there. They don't mention the Moody Blues. These guys fucking did it first.
1: I gotta say, in my seed bank theory, uh, I don't want these guys in because when rock and roll totally goes to shit and people go back to the seed bank, (laughs) I'd rather this line not... Not take place <laughs> they Leave this seat out I'm sorry about this But without this you don't get You don't get heavy psychedelic
3: stuff With other people Great And you don't get progressive rock <laughs> Great. And you don't get deep purple
2: Great Whoa oh, now, now you're out of
1: line And so. then you don't get Van Halen I don't care I can do without Van Halen even You're insane for what it's worth, these guys are a very
4: comfortable second in the fan voting, so they'll probably definitely be on the uh, fan ballot. And
3: I think they're going to get in, unfortunately, based on people not appreciating the fact that they fucking invented concept albums. El- they really were the yeah. ones who pushed concept albums and progressive rock. I
2: mean, they brought orchestral music into... Yeah, without this, you'd have no Kiss
1: music for the Elder. B- bang! Well, again, no skin off my bones, are.
0: Rock and Roll Hall. I heard a band that, for me, redefined the word rock and roll. I remember being knocked out by their, their exuberance, their raw power, and their punctuality.
1: I don't mind coming here,
0: wasting all my time. Cause when you're standing oh so near, I kinda lose my mind. The Cars.
2: Alright, we got to hear the whole verse. All right, this is my favorite, this is The Cars, and holy shit, do I love The Cars. Their first album, cleverly titled The Cars, is a near-perfect album. With a near-perfect title. Yeah. These dudes from Boston can actually be traced back to Cleveland, where Rico Kasich and Ben Orr first met, realizing that Cleveland was likely the future site of the Rock and Roll Hall (laughs) of Fame, (laughs) they got the fuck out. (laughs) They played around the tri-state area before heading to Boston, where they got their Cars shit in order. We're starting with moving in stereo. Here. Does that album
1: have a song called The Cars? No. Ah, <laughs> they blew it. That's no. a one shot.
2: Yeah, band, uh, band album song. They didn't do it. Uh, O&O formed up with Elliot Easton, Dave Robinson, uh, not the uh, sports guy or the other sports guy, but the musician. Formerly of modern lovers fame and session keyboarder Greg Hawks to get the final lineup. Over the next 10 years, they would release six albums, would result in 18 charting hits, 13 of them in the top 40. The Cars were known for being cold and deadpan, and that's what kind of separated from their New York peers like Blondie or the Talking Heads, while they were still inspired by music. (laughs) All right, good, you got that. While they were still inspired. Because neither of those bands were cold or you And now <laughs> you, good, you explain that. I, While they were still inspired there. by music and art, these guys were straight up fucking rock and roll. No effects, no silly costumes, no gimmicks. Just straight up rock and roll. Unless you call looking like ugly nerds a gimmick. Because seriously, uh, these guys look like five Jeff Picaros. I
1: mean, I'd argue that that video for You Might Think is kind of gimmicky, but then again... It that, is, that, but that's like eight years into their career. Yeah, and that song's such a jam, the video could have been a close-up of a butthole, and yeah. it still would have been a hit video. No, yeah. you're
2: absolutely right. Hmm. Um,
1: There's a lot of hit videos that are close-ups of buttholes. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. Well,
1: it doesn't have, a doesn't lot of them are song, on the internet yeah. nowadays. JD
2: and I have been making a lot of videos. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, okay, I get you. I get you. <laughs>
2: I mean, at least that's what J.D. told me it was for. You say, I hit that. I'd hit
1: that as a hit video.
2: Yeah. Uh, I had a shitty Toy Store Dracula wig in college. I think I brought this up on the podcast before. Wait, they didn't need any dumb costumes or gimmicks. (laughs) But I did. But they did. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This shitty Toy Store Dracula wig was a terrible look. I called it my Ricco Kasich wig. Not a good-looking group. Good thing they fucking rocked. They took this rudimentary guitar driven rock, kept at it its minimalistic level, and shot it through your soul with those synths. I mean, just listen to this song. It starts with that spacey intro and hits you with that riff. And if you listen on headphones as he's singing, moving in stereo, it'll go back and forth in your ears. Real clever there. Wait, what about the, the no gimmick? Of you said
1: no gimmicks. <laughs> no, hold on. No, I'm talking about the way they looked. Oh, okay. No, it- <laughs> It's <laughs> about as gimmicky as it gets. We well, got a, a song per- called Moving in Stereo. Listen, they don't I'm do- a- going to move, gonna move in stereo in their head while I'm saying it- moving in stereo. They're just
3: doing what they're saying they're doing. Listen, these guys had no gimmicks. They were straightforward, rock and roll. Listen I mean, to those, listen to those stops, gimmick. Steve. It's straightforward, rock and roll. Listen to those synths. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying I is. I mean, that's- as gimmicks go, that's a pretty straightforward gimmick. Huh. Yeah.
2: You guys don't get music at all, (laughs) (laughs) dude. Listen to that
3: synth opening. It's so crazy.
2: (laughs) I think it's worth mentioning the iconic imagery associated with
1: this song. All you need is guitar, a drum set, and like like, uh, eight synths. Just going in and out.
4: (laughs) And some ugly nerds to play them. Sorry,
2: Dave. What are you saying? What's the iconic imagery associated with this song? I sat quietly while you stumbled through every sentence twice. What? And now I can't get my uh, I can't get my stuff out here. Wait, are you blaming me? No, you're just the only one that's gone. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, I'll stop. I'll stop
3: stumbling through all my sentences, Dave. No, the
2: uh, the I don't consider sense a gimmick.
1: Or just keep going. Just keep it's going. You just just made a around. joke. We just
3: made a joke.
2: Continue, <laughs> Dave. What is the iconic imagery associated with this song? Well, it's from Fast Times at Ridgemont High That's right, Judge Reinhold jerking off in the bathroom So that's why you picked this one Exactly, <laughs> kind of our own 9-11s Because we will never forget His tower falling when Phoebe Cates Catches him cranking it So you've sucked all the wind out of my jokes
1: No, you didn't, you're still moving
2: uh, I'm just kidding, it's her boobs Yeah. Alright, moving on to my Number 8 song, Drive I won't say a word I have a few early memories that are based around music, and this is certainly one of them. When I was about six or seven, I remember driving home with my mom. I think we were coming from my friend Jason's house. My mom had what I remembered as a big, beautiful 68 Plymouth convertible. It was probably a broken-down 68 Plymouth convertible. It was late, and I was lying down in the seat with my head in her lap, and the song came on. Even though I was laying across the front seat of a speeding car without a seatbelt, My mom had probably had a couple glasses of wine. (laughs) I don't think I've ever felt safer. It wasn't just my mom's lap, it was the song. It was the same feeling uh, that washed over me several years later when I came across Ben Orr playing the song at the Kalamazoo Rib Fest. (laughs) And it was a delightful surprise. I gotta
1: say, man, you listen to this song, just the driving rock and roll of it, it just just like a Green Day song. So simple, punk rock, straightforward rock and roll. MC5, look out, here's the car's drive to really so teach you, say- you what simple rock is all about. So wait, Dave,
4: what you're saying is, is that you felt really secure when you heard this song asking who was going to drive you home, and you already had somebody driving you home at that very moment. And that was
2: even before I was a drinker.
1: It's also a very powerful, safe, warm sounding song. It's one of the safest warming songs I've ever heard in my life.
2: Well, it's the it's the car's most popular song because I think other people felt the same way I did when they heard it. It makes you feel like you're in your mother's lap. With some nerdy dude singing to you. Yeah. It also goes to the show that the car's- I
1: actually hear Radiohead's creep when I'm in my mother's lap these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, your mom's got a real weird
2: lap. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, it also goes to show that the cars were able to diversify. I mean, it wasn't all straight up rock and roll with synths. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's still while it's still a synth power jam, it showcases what a strong songwriter Ben Orr brought. What? Oh boy, that was a poorly written sentence.
1: It shows what power strong songwriting Ben it. Orr brought to the table. It, no, go, ah, no, okay. that's a perfect sentence. You know, it was poorly read. Yeah, no. Listen, I'm gonna I'll diagram it for you afterwards. It's okay. gonna be beautiful. Well, we'll do a Venn
2: diagram of how I read it. Mm -hmm. and how I wrote it. Okay. See where they intersect. Uh, Steve, there might be an argument for an early power ballad here. Yeah, might be. Might be. I would say it's less power, though, and more atmosphere. Like, they're trying to do atmosphere over, Eh. like, bombast. Well, they nailed it. This era of the Cars, 1984's Heartbeat City, also led them to dominate MTV. Their videos are iconic. They were in constant rotation on MTV. This one, which was directed by Timothy Hutton of all people, Magic, and of course, You Might Think, which won 1984 Video of the Year over
1: Thriller. Thriller video is kind of (laughs) shitty. Well,
2: it is, but back then people liked it. People people think that's an amazing
1: song. But it's kind of a garbage song. It's kind of not a very good song. It's yeah. about spooky spooks. It's yeah. really dumb. It's like the Monster Mash for 1984. Yeah, it's like <laughs> oogie boogies yeah. and gummy <laughs> mummies.
2: Uh, this brought them a new level of superstardom and helped Rico Kasich marry a model. Good for him. Which fits the Billy Joel Christy Brinkley, Seal Heidi Klum phenomenon.
1: I have a feeling Rico Kasich fucks better than Billy Joel Seal. I think, Rico, I, think I, seal, would, I would like seal. to see the Rico Kasich Seal fuck off to yeah. so see who does it better.
2: I think Seal can fuck. Yeah, I think he can. Yeah. Alright, we're here with uh, Let's Go from the Cars' second album, Candy O. 139 weeks on the Billboard charts. That's the Cars. That's over two and a half years. That kind of thing just can't happen today. Why? Probably because the music isn't good anymore. Actually, they changed the rules on the charts. (laughs) Well, you know what? I looked it up, and I guess Drake was on the top 100 for 431 weeks. You believe that Mm. shit? Yeah. Who knew? Not me. Uh, The first album was a powerhouse. It put them on the map. The second one was ready to go, but their label, Elektra was trying to get them to wait before releasing it. Why release a new album when you still have songs in the top 40, they said. The band wouldn't let the label hold them back and release Candio. And it was a huge, huge success. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about influence. These guys were like the Scots brand turf builder wagon. They spread seeds everywhere. <laughs> These
4: guys were like Judge Reinhold in the shower in Fast Times at Richmond High.
1: In front of the toilet. In, fr- in front of the toilet, i Very Sorry. far from the shower. Fuck that up. That's me in the shower. <laughs> They are credited. Just kidding, Leah.
2: Yeah, well, you've got a big old wide urethra. Yeah, Uh, they're credited with being a major influence of alternative music and bands that uh, list the Cars as an influence include REM, the Pixies, and of course the band that got Rick Ocasek to produce their first album, Weezer. Ocasek produced the Blue album along with a couple follow-ups. He also produced albums for Bad Brains, Not a Surf, Bad Religion, No Doubt, and his old Boston buddy Jonathan Richmond. I feel like the cars get a bad rap because they get so much play on classic radio. The uh, the old, you shook me all night long syndrome. You know, it's a good song, but Jesus, enough already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to take away from all the great music that they made. Their entire catalog is only seven albums, one of which was released in 2011, was probably given five stars by Rolling Stone, but otherwise overlooked. <laughs> This is the third year in a row the cars have been nominated, even though they've been eligible since 2003. I would love to see them get in.
4: I I, I think it's pretty clear that they deserve it.
1: Yeah, yeah. These cars are—they're a very special band, a very unique band. They don't sound like anybody. Nobody sounded like them. Since. Yeah,
4: they kind of bridge that gap between like you know nerdy synthy, new wave pop and classic rock, which you know they they fit they fit in both camps, and that's yeah. why they've kind of. I think that's why they've endured so well.
1: And with a ton of heart and human truth. A lot more than cold. The, the cold. They, they they did- you made the joke earlier about, you know, how they they separated themselves from Blondie and- <laughs> But really they did, cause like, you yeah, don't get well, a lot that's... of feeling from Blondie songs, or what's the other band you mentioned? Uh, Talking, Talking Heads. Talking Heads. You get no yeah. heart and soul feeling in like- like, you, like Drive, like how do you describe Drive? Special song, this is a special band. They really did separate themselves from the
0: scene. Doing this one too. All day, right. Well, we, we made go. it fit. 50 songs from 50 Alright,
1: Bon Jovi is on the ballot this year. And here we're gonna listen to John Bon Jovi's Blaze of Glory. And me, this song is awesome. It's also the perfect example of why Bon Jovi should not be in the Hall of Fame. Until this week, I totally forgot that this was solo uh, solo Jovi. But you know what? It's indistinguishable from the band. Yep. John Bond doesn't need that dang band. This song so fits with the band's sound that it's on their Greatest Hits album. Try to find O'Sherry on a Journey's Greatest Hits album. You won't find it. And fun fact, Runaway... John Bon uh, Bon Jovi, the band's first hit, was recorded by studio musicians and happened to catch fire when it was included on in a radio station's compilation of local talent. John Bon needs to be in the hall by himself. The disposable schlumps in the band, not so much.
2: That was uh, Debbie Harry's message to Clem Burke when Blondie got nominated. Wouldn't let him get up on stage with her. She's like, "This is me. This isn't you." <laughs>
4: Also talking about the band Bon Jovi, Richie Sambor really is Harry Metal's answer to The Edge from U2 in that he uses a shit ton of effects to disguise the fact that his guitar playing isn't actually that good.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, He's got a cool name, though. He does. I'll give him that.
2: Um, Isn't he married to Heather Locklear? Or was he?
1: Or Sambora was. No, he dated Cher for a while. Wait, Sambora was uh, was married to Locklear. Are you talking about The Edge? You're talking about The Edge, you're talking about Sambora. Yeah. Two different guitar hacks. No, Richie Sambora dated Cher for a while. Oh, he did, and he was married to Locklear. Wow. Man. What a guy. This this guy's
2: dick must taste like cotton candy.
1: (laughs) This is from the 1990 film Young Guns 2. Anybody ever seen Young Guns 2? Nope. Never saw it. Good flick. Yeah, I saw it at
3: 10... uh, and I believed it was historically accurate And that Billy the Kid survived
2: as brushy Bill I can't think of a single misstep in that movie
1: Because <laughs> you can't think of the movie uh, So this song came out When Emilio Estevez was trying to license John Bond's dead or alive And John Bond was all oh shit, a Hollywood wants my shit And then he was all Listen Emilio, that song is about my dumb band touring You don't want those losers in your dumb movie Show me the script I'll write you a whole fucking album. So John Vaughn's first solo album is music inspired by the sequel to a mildly successful western, and the big hit was this song. Uh, The second single was called A Hooker Snorted Coke Off My Boner in Emilio Estevez's Trailer and Richie Sambora was 2,000 Miles Away. It failed to chart. Uh,
4: So uh, in terms of the fan voting, Bon Jovi is currently leading by a country mile. Uh, the people are really turning out for them. Uh, I'm... Personally, I'm still on the fence about whether they should get in. On the one hand, I feel like Slippery When Wet is a top-to-bottom arena rock classic. And they were... Bon Jovi was really the only band of the hair metal era whose career survived grunge, but that was mostly because they were never a metal band to begin with, because, like I said earlier, Richie Sambora wasn't a technical enough guitar player to, for their music to rely on sweet riffs all the time. Uh, yeah, they were they were a pop band that happened to feather their hair and sometimes wear makeup. Yeah, they had the look, and the sound was loud enough to to put it over. But if you really dug down into the music, it just wasn't rooted in the same stuff that most other other hair metal bands were rooted in. Um, yeah. And you know, if you look at the album after Slippery When Wet, New Jersey was a blockbuster, but you hardly ever hear those hits on classic rock radio like you do the Slippery When Wet singles. And the lyrics, ugh. Oh, My buddy, my brother, and I listened to New New Jersey front-to-back on a car trip a couple years ago. Man, even if you mostly like the songs, there's a lot to make fun of there. Um, And I'll make one other point. In terms of the impact and influence that Bon Jovi had on popular music in their time, they didn't really do anything that Def Leppard didn't do first and way better. So put Def Leppard in first, and put Desmond Child in as a songwriter, too, because he made this
1: band. Yeah, like my, my final verdict on Bon Jovi is Bon Jovi, definitely not. John Bon Jovi, probably not. He was a great talent, but it wasn't that extraordinary. Let, let's just forget all the Jovies and the Bonds. Get out of here to town. Anybody else have any other opinions on Bon Jovi? What do you
2: guys say should Bon Jovi be oh. in? Yes or no? Um I don't want to forget all the Bonds because Bon Scott was pretty sweet. And I don't think I've ever met a like a hardcore Bon Jovi fan that was that that was cool? <laughs> I, I've never met a hardcore Bon Jovi fan. I think there we, was a, there was a girl I dated when I was in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was in eighth grade. She liked Bon Jovi and Warren. What are you gonna yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. And fans I've met since then, yeah, yeah. No, I, mean, I I don't think they should be in there.
1: I think these guys are gonna win the fan vote. And won't make it into the hall. That'd be they possible. will definitely
2: win the fan vote. Yeah. They're
1: ahead
3: by a lot. Hunter, yes or no? Hey, who cares? <laughs> this is the point
1: where I stop caring about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hearing yeah, a band like that nominated, this is why we have to do this show, is mm-hmm. because we need to change the we need to change the way that the music critics think. Alright, yes. back to some nominees. Radiohead, yeah. Yeah, the biggest, obviously. The biggest of band of the late nineties and the nineties. And I think they started with the Nirvana Xerox.
4: Yeah. I mean, OK, Computers on pretty much everybody's short list of greatest albums ever recorded. I mean, it's—I'm not worried that they'll never get in. I would like—I would like to maybe get some other folks in who have a, a less of a chance this year. But I mean, Radiohead is obviously a shoe in, a clear-cut choice. Anything else,
1: boys? Hunter? Yeah. Hunter's <laughs> <I'm just> giving <laughs> up on the show. Um, Rage Against the Machine. Uh, Steve. I don't know. I, I. What I always go
4: back to with these guys is I don't really like listening to them. I don't get pleasure from hearing their music. I know that they're influential. They have a they have a strong, you know, stylistically. They helped start the whole rap rock fusion movement. They were a lot better than a lot of what followed. Um, and you know the politics and all this. You know, it's it's not that they weren't an important band. I'm just not sure that their creative legacy past that first album really justifies it but i don't know i
3: what yeah. what, what do you guys think Wait, hunter they bridge rap and rock but the hall of fame is a fucking joke so the and shit <laughs> oh
1: man
3: <laughs> i'm going to be honest from this point forward
1: hunter's got a razor blade this is rock roll hall of fame hovering over his wrist um i think these guys like the seeds of a new generation of protest rock, it never really grew into anything but slip slip biscuit, right? Whining about how they try so hard to do their dreams. Yeah, that's a whatever. good point.
4: Is a lot of what they influenced was
1: shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. People, complete people shit. People did not get it and did not have the balls to follow in their footsteps. Uh, so they're a unique group with a unique voice and were very successful. I think I think they have a place. I think maybe they're a band that they'll look back on in 30 years and go, okay, they go in.
2: Well, I like what they they did for like sort of the the protest genre of music because it was sort of wasn't really there at the time. And also, Tom Morello is a
1: hell of a guitar player.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. I on mean, that. he's really incredible. Really good. Yeah,
1: he's, maybe he's the guy. No, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. But I'd I'd be happy if they were in. And Nina Simone, the song's called Feeling Good.
4: I'll be honest, I don't know her catalog that well, but she does fall under that unclassifiably
3: brilliant header that I mentioned earlier, so yes, put her in. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Anybody else? She. If there's singers in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and any of them are women, then maybe you put her in. Uh, she's a great piano player. I don't think people are that familiar with her stuff in the '70s and and before. They really just know her early stuff, but I think she's more than that. So you can put her in.
4: Yeah, she was very versatile. Like she could do jazz, R and B, you know, whatever she wanted to do, basically.
1: Oh, this song's good. I like this song. No. Yeah. Oh no. yeah. She deserves to be in there. Yeah. yeah totally. Very special talent.
0: Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rock and Roll Hall. Of did you ever run into a musical group, works out of Kansas
3: City, calls themselves Four Jacks and a Jill? They've been at a Ramada in there for about 18 months. If you're ever in
0: Kansas City and you want to hear some good music, you might want to uh, drop by.
4: I just want to say before you start, J.D., I love Kate Bush. The only reason I didn't do her as my spotlight is there is another even nearer and dearer to my
3: heart, but you picked the exact three songs I would have picked, too. Yeah. Also, before you get started, I just want to let everybody know that Lemmy is in this you band. Ten- <laughs> He's good. <laughs>
0: you
1: threw me off! No, I'm quitting. I'm quitting this episode. Um, Alright, this song's called Wuthering Heights. <laughs> this is my fucking jam. Um, the- I love this. The thing that moves me so much about Kate Bush Is her bodacious uniqueness See, we're original new voices in rock criticism <laughs> um, So even though you can hear her influence in dozens of artists today There's still no one who sounds like her She's so original in lyrics and tone and voice Every Kate Bush song is a jigsaw puzzle That when put together is a picture of, a sca- of scattered jigsaw puzzle pieces there's pop music that makes your mind and soul feel well fed for me, it's Steely Dan, it's Joni Mitchell, it's Courtney Spark, it's early REM, and it's almost everything by Kate Bush. And I'm not going to claim to be the world's biggest Kate Bush fan, That Steve's way further up there than me, but like he said, he had a favorite group that he's going to cover later in the episode. And I haven't been a super big
4: Kate Bush fan for a long time. I just kind of discovered this. I finally went back and discovered this song a few years ago. I was like, holy shit, I've missed everything. Yeah. It was all
1: amazing. Yeah, all right. but thanks to you liking another band more, it became my pleasurable responsibility to advocate for Kate Bush to make it in the hall. Um, an author named Deborah Withers wrote a book called Adventures in Kate Bush and Theory, in which she argues that Kate liberated female creativity as much as punk rock did. And perhaps like women having the freedom to enjoy sex itches Republicans into legislating blocks on sexual freedom, the fact that Kate Bush gave so many women the freedom to express themselves in more unique and interesting ways than male performers itched Hall of Fame voters enough to block her from her rightful place amongst her male counterparts. Um, And there's no greater side-by-side comparison to demonstrate Kate's snub than Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel, he's in the hall as solo, he's in the hall as a genesis uh, for doing a slightly less inspired version of what Kate brings to every performance, where Peter Gabriel was weird in like a self-conscious intellectual smartsy show-off kind of way, Kate was weird in a here's my heart and I don't give a fuck if it's not normal kind of way, it's the best way art is approached in my opinion. Uh, Peter Gabriel, he sold more albums, but only because of his huge hit So. Uh, which was fueled in part by a duet with Kate Bush. Don't Give Up is one of my favorite songs of all time. And listen, I love Peter Gabriel, even his weird early stuff. I just think Kate deserves all the accolades as much and probably more than him. And while it's hard to measure artistic genius, one measure is the kind of work created out of the gate. Consider this, this song Wuthering Heights, her first UK hit, she doesn't have much US success. Uh, this was recorded before she was out of her teens. She wrote most of the songs on her 1978 debut album, The Kick Inside, when she was 14. Jesus. Yeah. This is a s- sophisticated yeah. song. Well, at
2: the same time, I also saw Peter Gabriel sing Salisbury Hill while he rode in a circle on a bicycle. <laughs> and that was pretty
0: sweet, too. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, shit. Hold on. Where's the... Hold on. I got these in the wrong order. All right. So in her teens, Kate Bush recorded a demo. It was quickly rejected by her record companies all around the dang place. But then the demo caught the ear of one David Gilmore. I believe he is pink in the band Pink Slash Floyd. Uh, I believe you're right. Yeah, and then he was like, I like to blow mines. This little girl likes to blow mines. Hey, little girl, I'm going to pay for you to record a really good demo tape and put in a good word for you. Not as creepy as the setup sounded. Um, So under the wing of a rock legend Because great talent fosters great talent Kate Bush re-recorded her demo And this time, she got signed Uh, Her first album Called The Kick Inside from 1978 Went platinum in the UK, which means 300,000 albums there It doesn't mean a million, I just learned that
4: Yeah, Uh, because they got got a smaller population
1: Yeah, it went triple platinum in Canada Which also means 300,000 albums Platinum in Canada is 100,000 And it went platinum in the Netherlands, which means 100,000 albums. So it's at least 700,000 albums worldwide for a weird 19-year-old girl who writes and performs her own shit. Girl was a hit. Uh, The last song we heard, Wuthering Heights, was the number number one hit in the UK. And that was the very first self-written song by a female performer to reach number one in the UK. That's huge! Uh, But it couldn't break the top 100 singles in the US. Kate's work fits in a genre Steve will introduce to us in a few weeks. It's going to be called Song Puddings or Music Puddings. Something like uh, that. Songs too British to break into the U.S. But fuck the U.S., Kate Bush had some awesome music to make. Um, she released her second album, Lionheart, in uh, later in 1978, and then did a small tour called The Tour of Life that would change the way music was performed forever. Because this tour, which only lasted a month, uh, Kate wanted to incorporate dance, magic, all this other flashy stuff because she was a perfectionist and a showman. Now, to dance and sing and do magic tricks or whatever at the same time is a very difficult thing, so she had an engineer rig up a microphone on a clothes hanger, making it the very first, Her, she was the very first artist to use a hands-free wireless mic setup on stage. Let that sink in for a second. Think of what a no-brainer that is today. Kate Bush was the first one to do that. Yeah, she basically made Madonna's career by doing that. More on that in a second, um, and more on her impact on music today in a little bit. So as for touring, this 1978 tour, it would be her only tour for 35 years. In 2014, she did 22 dates at the Hammersmith Apollo in London. Uh, She only made one appearance in U.S. television ever on Saturday Night Live in the 70s. Um, so she's not a big, obvious presence here, but her, but secretly, she is a huge presence here. Uh, first, I want to talk about this song, Babushka. Um, it was also a European hit off her third album, Never Forever. And listen to this song. It's this a song about a woman disguising herself as a younger woman to seduce her husband who's sick of her. And Kate accidentally named the character uh, after what you call a Russian grandma, so it should be lame, but somehow, Kate Bush was able to make a song called Babushka cool and catchy and groundbreaking and sail its way to becoming the 465th highest selling single in French history that's an accomplishment <laughs> I've never done that Mm-mm. Um, so 1985 Kate Bush released the album Hounds of Love and finally found a hit a hint of chart success in the United States um, that album made it to number 30 here so not a huge success but it was there uh, this song, "Running Up That Hill," a deal with God, made it to number 30 on the U.S. singles charts. The video was incredible, by the way. It's Kate Bush and some dude doing this mesmerizing modern dance. There's no lip-syncing. It just, it just sticks with you forever. It's a really great video, especially for the early '80s, where videos sucked. Um, and all her videos are great. And her movement and her performances—they've never been properly replicated. So anyway. This song, like I said, this song made it to 30 on the U.S. charts and that's about as good as she's going to do in America but her impact was already being felt and like you said, Steve, case in point is Madonna Correct me if I'm wrong, but Madonna is the first great post-Kate Bush female solo performer Yeah, and, yeah And that is, Madonna was a weirdo who wrote her own shit and put on elaborate concerts uh, Her first single came out just four years after Kate's so It's weird because Kate seems so old time and Madonna feels so modern but they're contemporaries Um, and obviously Madonna exploded in worldwide popularity. She was treading on a path blazed by Kate Bush. If Madonna's in the hall, Kate's gotta be there too. Yep. Um, but if that sounds like a stretch, give Kate's impact a little more time to ferment. Think about all the female performers today, all these powerhouse weirdos that are popular today. (laughs) They write their own shit, they put on insane concerts, they make crazy videos. Uh, Lady Gaga, Sia, Florence Welsh, Charlie XCX, Feist, Lord, Nicki Minaj, St. Vincent, Bad for Lashes. Go back a little further, of course, Tori Amos, who's Tori a clone. Am- yeah, Tori Amos is yeah. absolutely a clone. Uh, Bjork, Katie Lang. Further still, you got Annie Lennox, Chrissy Hind, Grace Jones. Pretty much any woman who said, I'm going to look how I want to look and sing how I want to sing and what I want to sing about. It. And I don't care if people think I'm weird, they all have Kate Bush to think. And last year I advocated for Journey, and my basic argument there for their inclusion was their overwhelming commercial success and the infinite shelf life of their biggest hits.
4: And also you've loved them since you were a boy.
1: I know, but I have to be intellectual. It doesn't <laughs> matter what I think. It matters their place in the world. But for this year, I'm, gonna, I'm going for someone who never had an enormous worldwide success and doesn't have a hit song that an unremarkable 16-year-old girl is going to rediscover and belt out in the car with her friends. I'm advocating. A remarkable 16 year old girl's gonna do it. A remarkable yeah. 16 year old girl, never. Um, I'm advocating for the first true, complete female artist that held open the door for everyone else remotely like her. Uh, the hall must make room for the great influencers, and Kate Bush is without argument one of the greatest of all time. Here, here. Get her the heck in there, you goofs. And really, if oh, I, sorry, sorry. I was, I was
4: just gonna say, like, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame gets a lot of criticism for not having more female artists in. Kate Bush should be a no-brainer.
1: Yeah, yeah. a no-brainer. Come
4: on, yeah. you guys.
1: All right, this is Link Ray with Rumble. He's nominated to be in this year. I know nothing about him except yeah. that uh, Quentin Tarantino likes this song. Yeah. yeah. He should definitely was be,
4: and he was—he was like a guitar playing instrument. And most of his records were instrumentals, wow. um, but he did a lot to expand like the uh, the sonic palette of the electric guitar in rock and roll. Like this is kind of you know almost distorted. This is kind of one of the earliest examples of a quasi distorted guitar on record. So yeah, he—he he, in terms of like his influence, he definitely deserves to be in.
0: Hmm.
2: I like how uh, Quentin Tarantino uh, introduced this to like what would be our generation in Pulp Fiction. And I wasn't familiar with it before then, and I got into it big time, and I went back and found a lot of his... Uh, uh, well, I did what any 18-year-old would do, and I went out and bought his greatest hits. And it's fucking fantastic stuff. Um, he absolutely should be. He was a true innovator. And uh, took the genre and shaped it.
1: Hunter is left with a with a with a gallon of gasoline and a book of matches. This is rock and roll hall of fame.
3: You know, if you want to Cleveland per- or bust. If you want to keep pretending that this thing is a is an actual thing, um, then maybe you put a guy in there who plays the guitar. Because last I checked rock and roll hall of fame, rock and roll has guitars. This guy basically created the sound. Why wouldn't he be in there? But but then. You know, He's not good at, he's so sad he's not great at parties I'm sure
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, zombies were nominated last year right we talked about them a little bit um, they should definitely be in they're one of the one of the last remaining like big British invasion
4: bands that are not in and they had they had their own unique sound it was kind of a little more sad and minor key, uh, a little more lush and then uh they also have one of those uh, landmark albums under their belt. They have a, uh, no, from 1967, I think it was, the Odyssey and Oracle album is where they kind of reinvented themselves for the psychedelic age, and this was the big hit song off that album. So, yeah, absolutely,
3: they should be in. Uh, Hunter? Nah. I uh, mean, why not, like, let's keep up the thing where, like, how about next year you just uh, put in Argent, nominate Argent, because you won't put the fucking zombies in.
1: I, I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand the zombies. You said they were one of the last great British Invasion bands. That would be the equivalent of them being like Stone Temple Pilots is one of the last... Arguably great grunge band. No, I
3: think he was saying that one of the last. One to of the get last. In. Yeah, exactly. Not oh, yeah, yeah. one of the last oh, okay. to show okay. up. Well, they're they're one of
1: the bands. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But see, Rod Argent went on to form Argent.
2: Yeah. So a little maybe hold your head up. Ever hear
3: of that oh, one? Oh, okay. Yes. A little God yeah. gave rock and roll to you, yeah, part two. Maybe so that if, one. So let's not do our jobs and put a fucking rock and roll legend in there, and, and instead nominate
1: Argent next year. That's smart. Jake Isle's band, we gotta spend a lot of time here. Hard pass. No. Rock, fuck no. The rock and roll band didn't push anything forward, but I don't know, Hunter, what do you think?
3: They're so tight. so <laughs> they're sick of like this. they're Again, they're they're kinda like one of those bands that played straightforward rock and roll. Um not as much synth as, say, the cars. Yeah, Not was. until 82 anyway <laughs> That was a little bit later But it was in the same Very much the same Straightforward Very much the same thing As what Dave was saying Is that they were A new wave band That played Rock and roll Was able to To integrate it so maybe eventually, but you're not going to put them in there before the cars get in there. And a, lot, to the better.
4: and a lot of their earlier career, like before
2: Centerfold, they were just kind of an average like white guy blues band.
3: Yeah, they were an average blues band. They, they just were, played live They were kind
2: of like the, uh, the personification of uh, Bob Seger's old-time rock and roll. Like if that was the only song that existed, if that was the genesis of music, I think... Uh, the, uh, who? Are Jay Giles Jay Giles and his band <laughs> Peter and the Wolves Would have Would have uh, come from that I mean it's It's like Boring white guy rock
0: yeah. um, Which, so, you which don't have,
2: most of Rock and roll is So You don't have to put All of these bands popular. In the hall of fame
4: so, and I know I know like Jay Giles himself passed away earlier this year, but so did Chris Cornell. They didn't nominate Soundgarden. I'm sure Soundgarden's been nominated before. Uh, maybe not. They, they didn't give him they didn't give him the death nomination this I don't year. Think, but this Peter is a- Wolf is really good friends with Jan Wenner, the lead singer of Jay Giles band. This is it's so a, that's the Rock and roll kind of hall of fame in,
3: in its essence is silly like if anything a piss
2: stain, if, you will. if
3: anything eras you sh- if you want to talk if you want to have a hall of fame you should discuss eras and these guys should be discussed in an era of rock and roll which was the 80s which moves there is to move from a straightforward average blues rock band into a new wave band is weird and you probably need to talk about it and these guys would be
1: in that discussion but it won't be for a long 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 time so if you want to take hunters strong apathy for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and flip it on its end, you're going to get the pure passion Steve has for the final band on the ballot. You're ready for <laughs> this. Yeah. Pure joy. So, guys, heavy right metal. We got a fucking oh. intro. Oh. It's, it's a oh. minute and a half long, what and it's we a great we need intro. that awesome. extra push over
2: the cliff. You know what we do? Oh. Put it up to a 11,
0: exactly. Oh,
4: that was toe-tapping. Heavy metal gets short shrift at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, along with alternative rock and also women like we just talked about. You've got the artists who walk that dividing line between metal and hard rock like ACDC, Guns N' Roses, Van Halen, Aerosmith, Kiss, Alice Cooper. And you've got that holy trinity of early metal pioneers, Zeppelin, Sabbath, and Deep Purple, who are all in now. But if you talk about pure heavy metal, the bands that still read as metal to metal listeners today, far and away, not even a contest, the three most influential heavy metal bands of all time are Sabbath, Judas Priest, and Metallica... Listen to that. Listen, fucking listen to that. And Sabbath and Metallica are already in, so it's time, gentlemen, to place a call for the priest. It's one of the early Judas Priest songs. This is Dissident Aggressor, and this is goddamn amazing. I'm picking one song from each of their first three decades. This is the 70s one. Uh, It'll sum up their career arc very nicely. Uh, So the reason I just listed all those bands is at one time or another, all of them were more or less considered heavy metal. As time went on and metal got more challenging More aggressive, more abrasive More, more, more A lot of those older bands now sound pretty tame by comparison Like they still kick ass But it's very accessible ass kicking Sabbath is really the only one from metal's first generation That still epitomizes the genre Now this This song was released in 1977 Think about that This was the heaviest thing on the goddamn planet by far. This is so heavy that Slayer covered it ten years later and couldn't outdo the original. This still sounds like state-of-the-art heavy metal that most bands would kill to have pulled off. And it has this amazing, malevolent atmosphere and mystique to it even four decades later. And a live version of it won a Grammy for Best Metal Performance in 2009, even in spite of the fact that Rob Halford couldn't hit half these notes anymore. So I want to use this as a jumping-off point to talk about Priest in the 70s. Like, people tend to be less familiar with this period of their career, because none of this shit ever gets played on classic rock radio, because it's a little too challenging. But it's the most influential and important stuff of theirs. Early metal still had a lot of jamming, it had roots in blues rock and psychedelic drug music. Judas Priest basically got rid of those influences, made their songs tight, lean, and mean like this. Any remaining traces of 60s hippie shit, gone. And the blues thing is a pretty big dividing line. I think nowadays that's the one big difference in what people's ears code as hard rock versus heavy metal. Lyrically, they brought back the darkness of Black Sabbath, took it even farther, and side note, they were also from Sabbath's bleak industrial wasteland, hometown of Birmingham. And of course, they almost single-handedly invented the visual style of heavy metal, Thanks to Rob Halford's fetish for spiked leather Just getting millions of macho, testosterone-addled men All across the globe To enthusiastically wear the kinds of clothes That Rob Halford originally found at gay S&M shops That in and of itself is complete fucking genius That should qualify him for knighthood at least (laughs) Um, And I'll talk more uh, Before we move on I'll talk about the influence of their 70s stuff Just musically um, it's enormous. Every every album except for their debut is amazing. Stain Class in particular, the one the one after this one, uh, which was Sin after Sin. Stain Class is a real complex masterpiece. Um, the twin guitar format with KK Downing and Glenn Tipton, which they borrowed from Thin Lizzy and Wishbone Ash, became pretty standard for a shit ton of the metal that followed. God damn it! Listen to that. Let's <laughs> go. Let him... Ah. So, in contrast to, say, Ozzy Osbourne, you needed a powerful vocalist like Rob Halford. You can hear him reaching that Robert Plant range, but sound like really operatic about it. Uh, like Bruce Dickinson said, you have to be able to hit the, like, the back rows in the, the stadium with that kind of a voice. On this song in particular, you hear a heavy reliance on that percussive, palm-muted guitar picking. Some of the first double bass drumming, uh, courtesy of one-time session guy Simon Phillips which becomes such a huge part of the thunderous metal sound on a lot of the metal that follows this.
1: They started this that, is, or they, they were just amongst the ones that started that this is, it. This is, I don't himself.
4: know if this was technically the first, but it was among the first. Like, this was the first time a lot of metal fans heard that sound on a metal record. Because they were the biggest band to do it first. Yeah, exactly. Um... So this is pretty much the rhythmic underpinning of the whole genre of heavy metal. And this is the point where it starts to become very technically demanding for the musicians performing it too. Um, It's basically just the template for what everybody thinks heavy metal is or is supposed to be. Uh, Most immediately, Priest directly inspired the new wave of British heavy metal movement, including among many others, Iron Maiden, and their envelope pushing experiments with volume, tempo, and instrumental technique Helped eventually give birth to Speed and Thrash Metal. I'll get more on that later. But in the meantime, uh, Priest was uh, as the '70s wore on, they would begun inching increasingly closer to the mainstream. So let's go there now. Oh, here we go. <sighs> here we fucking go. So, just looking up photos of Kate Bush. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's a good that's a good thing to do too. Uh, so in 1980. Having permanently uh, altered the landscape of heavy metal with a series of complex, musically challenging albums that inspired legions of imitators, Judas Priest decided they wanted to be big-time stadium rock act. Metallica made that identical decision 11 years later, released the Black album. But as with most things heavy metal, Priest did it first. Uh, British Steel was the album that not only broke them commercially, it broke heavy metal commercially. And even though it wasn't the huge blockbuster Metallica had, because Priest was going where no pure metal band had ever gone before, uh, but British Steel blazed the trail for every commercial metal success that followed. It had two bona fide hit singles, at least in the UK, in uh, "Living After Midnight" and "Breaking the Law," both of which helped remake them into a viable party band. Uh, in order to shift their sound, they re- they replaced their jazz-trained 70s drummers Simon Phillips and later Les Binks. With a simpler, more ACDC-sounding guy in Dave Holland, Uh, Priest went through drummers at a rate similar to Spinal Tap. And it turned out that Priest wasn't bad at riding a groove or letting their music breathe a little either, which shows them to be ultimately more versatile than their closest compatriots, Iron Maiden. Now, there was some weaknesses in this early 80s breakthrough, too. Uh, You can get this kind of eagerness to pander to the most meat-headed teenage boys in their fan base, as you can see depicted in the legendary short film Heavy Metal Parking Lot. So there's some really dumb moments from this period, but fortunately, unlike post-stadium rock Metallica, Priest kept finding their way back to what made them good, which brings us to this song, the other of their big three radio hits from 1982, Screaming for Vengeance. This is a You've Got Another Thing Coming. Uh, pound for pound, track for track, Screaming for Vengeance is actually the better album than British Steel. Uh, It also made Dave Holland the first Judas Priest drummer to make it to a third album. Uh, This You've got another thing coming. is actually their only single to make the pop charts in America at number 67, and it's the song that broke them on American rock radio where it was a pretty substantial hit. Um, Again, unlike Metallica who spent a lot of time pretending that they didn't want to be rock stars, Priest is pretty clear about wanting to be huge. Like, Out there is a fortune waiting to be had. You think I'll let it go? You're mad. So, this, you know, they, they had their commercial prime in the early 80s. By the mid-80s, the commercial explosion of heavy metal that they had kickstarted was already shifting tastes away from them. Uh, Def Leppard was taking metal onto the pop charts. Quiet Riot had a number one album. The big arena gigs started to go to hair bands like Bon Jovi and Poison. Priest had no idea how to keep up. So they added some slick 80s synthesizers on their 86 album, Turbo, but they didn't really know how to use them. So basically they tried even harder to sell out, but they didn't broaden their audience at all, and they alienated their old fan base. Are you listening, Democratic National Committee? Apparently, at some point wait, in the hold on, 80s, wait,
1: hold on! You slipping your Bernie bro shit into this? We were having a good time listening about your Bernie...
4: Judas Priest! So apparently at some point in the late 80s, Judas Priest even recorded a cover of an R&B song by the Stylistics with the dance producers' stock Aitken and Waterman, uh, which was never released. So, hey, it's uh, probably time to fade away into irrelevance, right?
1: You got another thing coming.
4: That's right! Wait a minute. This doesn't sound irrelevant. Sounds pretty vital. It does not sound like Dave Holland drumming, that's for damn sure. This sounds fucking sweet! Who is it? What vicious new underground thrash band is playing this awesome shit? So once again, unlike Metallica, or the Democratic National Committee for that matter, Judas Priest both remembered what made them good in the first place. Holy shit, it's an actual wicked witch they found to be the lead singer, too. They remembered what made them good in the first place, and they figured out how to adapt that to a vastly different landscape than the one they'd first succeeded in priests figured out they can no longer be an arena band. They finally gave up trying. They looked around at the thriving thrash metal underground that that had arisen over the last decade or so and had pushed metal farther than anyone could have imagined. And they said to themselves, hmm, the kids are all right, but you know, I bet we could actually teach these whippersnappers a thing or two, show them how it's done. So they did what they do, which is get rid of their drummer and they went back to the old 70s approach of getting a good technical jazz train guy. Uh, the guy on this track is Scott Travis from Racer X, which is one of those shreddy music school bands that also had guitar virtuoso Paul Gilbert, later of Mr. Big. Apparently Scott had always wanted the drum for Judas Priest and he plays here like he has 80 dreams all coming true at once. Uh, the high quality of the painkiller comeback from Judas Priest I think is one of the most astounding of our lifetimes. Like, this is the metal equivalent of George Foreman regaining the World Heavyweight Championship at age 45. Um, Painkiller was the title track of Priest's Last Great Album from 1990. Among hardcore metal fans, it's one of their most acclaimed uh, in hindsight. Almost every song is really fast and intense, The whole album sounds like a feat of stamina you'd never expect from a bunch of guys who are mostly pushing 40, much like this podcast episode is a feat of stamina you wouldn't expect either. It's a non-stop assault, the album I mean, never lets up. The instrumental chops are clearly still there. Halford still has the range. He sounds more more evil than he ever has. And the lyrics are mostly silly fantasy stuff, but it's exactly the kind of lyrics you're after if you want to have fun listening to a fucking sweet metal album uh it's still melodic there's still crap to the songs but it's intense enough that all the cutting edge extreme metal kids could listen to it and go whoa
0: this is awesome
4: kick ass bro the legendary death metal band death even covered this song in their last album and again didn't quite do it justice So this Painkiller is the album that really cemented Judas Priest's reputation with The Next Generation. It might be the most fucking METAL thing that they ever released. So what do you do after that? Well, they had nothing left to prove. Uh, Rob Halford left in 1992
1: to pursue other projects. Including flirting with me once. Oh, yeah. fantastic. great. It's a great, great story. And, uh, I was writing for a video game award show, and we got Rob Halford to appear because he was a voice in a video game that year. And uh, he looks me up and down and says, Well, you're an important looking guy, aren't you? <laughs> Oh, that's See, beautiful. I thought
2: it was that you looked like a homeless guy.
1: No, well, I was wearing a you had sweet puffy vest with credentials. The, the same puffy but vest. But he looked me up and down, and the tone of his voice, he was flirting with me. It was awesome.
2: Wow. You clearly have status, young man. You could have had a story. Mm -hmm. Like the time I almost (laughs) I did have a story. Yeah, but I mean, I I got hit on by a girl that was an Ewok, and I I didn't do anything about it. (laughs) I could be sitting here telling you how I banged an Ewok, but now I'm telling you how I missed my chance. Those opportunities only
4: come along once in a lifetime, guys. No. Uh, so after Halford left, the band hired Tim Ripper Owens to replace him. Halford finally came out as gay in 1998. That's why he was
1: flirting with me! I get it I thought now. he wanted
4: to be my bro! Putting the puzzle pieces together. Uh, his coming out was a very big deal at the time, given the, uh, machismo of the whole surrounding culture of heavy metal. Uh, which then so- slowly realized they'd all been wearing fetish gear this whole time. But in the end, most metal fans didn't really give that much of a shit because everybody knows that whoever's making it, metal is
2: objectively awesome. Did you mention Tim Ripper Owens? I did men- okay. mention him. That's the name of my friend Gina's goldfish.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, meet Gina and her yeah. crazy goldfish. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, what a good job, Steve. They're going to go in the Hall of Fame this year. Absolutely. Here, um, who else? Who needs to be nominated from this year? You know what? I think I think Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Why not? He's so he was super popular, there's never been anyone like him. Uh he, he used to go platinum, now he goes vinyl, he's timeless. And now he was vinyl, now he viral. Um influence on millions of comedians, uh He's only had three top 40 hits. Eat It, Smells Like Nirvana, and White and Nerdy. It's a weird group of hits. Well, uh, it's, it's kind
4: of era-spanning there, though, isn't it? it really it's, is. it's a really long period of time.
1: Um, let's be honest, though. No one calls up top 40 radio and requests Weird Al, except for me because I thought I was hilarious when I was a kid. Um, also, next year, Beck, Outcast, Shell Crow, all eligible. I think you'll see one or two of those folks nominated. Yeah.
2: Uh, in an effort to pick only one, I have to narrow it down to the Pixies. I hate to think what music would be like without the Pixies. We probably wouldn't know Radiohead, Nirvana, in the way that we do. But at the same time, probably no Candlebox. (laughs) That's some fucking power, right there.
1: Has Pixies ever been nominated? (laughs) I don't think think so. What the fuck is wrong with you people? There's a
4: lot of there's a lot of alternative rock acts that they're they're gonna have to come to a reckoning with it because and also it's not set up very well because it's not. They're not. the Hall of Fame. It's, at a certain point in the 80s, a lot of the best and most creatively influential acts are not going to be the most famous ones anymore.
1: I know how Rob Helford hits those notes. He hears who isn't nominated for the Hall of Fame, and he goes, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, Hunter. Hunter.
3: Um, I think we should campaign for Toto every year, but mm-hmm. since we can't do that, and I'm not seeing work again. Uh, you yeah, gonna- are trying to pick ones that
4: we didn't pick last year to get nominated
3: yeah i'm gonna go off the board and say t-rex yes um, hell yeah i don't i don't probably no one no glam rock is in the hall of fame except for maybe david bowie who just kind of like yeah but he he changed lanes by all over the place the, the the scene but again these are this is what i'm saying it's like anybody who fucking uh makes money as in a band uh that's your hall of fucking fame. This is, it's a ridiculous thing. If you wanted to, if you wanted to, uh, to really talk about rock and roll, maybe you should look at, at at actual like eras and genres and stuff like we do on our show. And It's a
2: great show. You should all listen to it. And, <laughs> and if you made it this far, they, you they love it. it <laughs> if they made it past your Judas Priest soliloquy, <laughs> they're fans.
3: And like Steve said, with heavy, heavy metal, they don't really do much with unless you're like Metallica and they don't, there's all these genres they don't give a fuck about because whatever they weren't the Beatles, um, the glam rock is def was definitely that and I I'm gu- I guarantee you only David Bowie's in there because is David
1: yeah Bowie. I can't
4: imagine Mott the Hoople is in there and Bo- they also yeah. deserve to be yeah.
1: and when you have T Rex name dropped in so many iconic rock and roll oh songs. my god I yeah, mean, yeah. I can think Christ. of three off the he's, top of my head he's,
3: he's one of the rock and roll's greatest lead men rock yeah, stars. Like yeah, he's he's a rock star. Also
2: my best friend's dog Bolin uh was put down this past week so R. I P. Bolin.
3: I'm
4: sorry to hear that
3: Dave. Yeah, it's
2: a real bummer. <laughs> 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 uh, Steve, I, <laughs> my friends name their their pets after rock stars. What do you want? Um, I've already bitched
4: in previous episodes of this podcast this year about, uh, the Crystals, like not just Darlene Love, but the Crystals, also the Pointer Sisters. I've done some genre-specific bitching earlier, uh, so for this bit, I'm gonna pick two new ones, uh, Roxy Music for their immense creative legacy and influence, especially in the UK, and the greatest blue-eyed soul singer of my lifetime, George Michael. Um, interesting note too There's a, if we're looking for more female artists some of the best of the alternative era are starting to become eligible so I think we should theoretically should be seeing Bjork and PJ Harvey soon uh, both of whom should be shoe-ins but probably won't be
1: uh, that was a very passionate episode guys, a lot of fun a lot of fun facts, a lot of history about rock and roll I'm spent I love doing these episodes Uh, Next episode I'm in the captain's chair. Uh, The genre is called Canadian classical and I ain't talking about Harry Summers I'll let all you Canucks unwrap that you beauties Uh, Thanks to Jeff Selby for sending in these very specific bumpers He's one of the greats and Jeff wants to give a shout out to John Newsom for introducing him to this podcast last year Jeff and John were disc jockeys in the military years ago. Thank you for your service. And both think that if they were to do a podcast now, it would be a lot like Beyond Yacht Rock, except for more gene meat. So let that sink in, ladies. Uh, Jeff and John have more gene meat than the four of us combined. And I can't speak for you guys, but I'm not exactly hauling the gherkin and grapes here. Uh, On Merchadoodle do. Uh, t-shirt out-of-stock Orders Still haven't made the order for T-shirts, so get those in soon. And order the ones that we don't have in stock, and we'll get them for you. I'll get the shirts to all your loved ones by the holiday seasons for sure. Uh, and hopefully, I'll have the record bags up very soon. You can grab uh, cocoa and Gene meat buttons from yachtrock.com as well.
2: I got a couple plugs. Do it. Uh, check out the latest Feral Audio uh, episode, Ding Donger, with Matt Bronger. I make a guest appearance. And I'm having another tribute band night, uh, November 18th. <laughs> it's going to be great. This is getting com- almost Offbeat. comical.
1: It seems like every episode.
2: Right? Hey, tribute band night. Anyway. Yeah, come come, come. watch me uh, pretend I'm not turning 42. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: all right. Find this week's 2017 Hall 18. of Fame voter play. 18. Oh, following J.D. Risner on Spotify. Go to Yarrock.com and buy t-shirts. Read the captain's blog. We're getting that started up again. Uh, send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock follow us on Instagram Beyond Yacht Rock like us on Facebook or interview us on Apple Podcasts your views help us pick up heat take the time today thanks to again uh, Jeff Selby for making them bumpers additional bumpers by Rob Crow Mark Rivers thanks to (laughs) this is Dustin Marshall this is pasted from last year this is Matt Brusso record us today because he's our producer and we love him Uh, Check out other Feral Audio podcasts at FeralAudio.com. You made it, guys. You made it through the whole episode.
0: Feral Audio.